After Jesus uh, rose from the dead, uh, he, you know, got his disciples together. This is the end of Matthew's gospel. And gave them what we call the Great Commission. He says, go to all nations and show them how to be my disciples. He said, I want you to teach them everything that I taught you and teach them to obey it. And then I want you to baptize them in the name of, as you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, now, that, that passage, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, there are several like that in, in the Bible. And uh, Christians in the following centuries came, used those scriptures, and they came to a startling realization. They knew that the God of Israel was the one Jesus prayed to and called Father. But then they also realized Jesus was fully human, and yet more, he was fully God. And then also the Holy Spirit who came upon them and filled them was also God. And eventually they came up with um, a way of understanding that. And they, used, they came up with this word, Trinity. It's a tri-unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so today and all this month here at Faith Westwood, we are uh, focusing on the Holy Spirit. So today, I'd like for us to uh, begin the message time with a prayer, uh, join together a, pr a prayer that Christians have been praying for centuries, and um, the, the Come Holy Spirit, Come prayer. So I invite you to join with me. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the light and reveal. Show me my sin. Turn me around. Set me apart until I am wholly yours. And all God's people said, amen. This month we also have a special verse that we're focusing on. It's Acts 1, verse 5. Uh, Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, he makes this promise to his disciples. He says, for John, meaning John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I, I realized is that most people today have a pretty good feeling about Jesus. You know, whether they would consider themselves a Christian or not, they think Jesus was pretty cool. Uh, we like his stories, his compassion, his miracles. We admire his self-sacrifice. But I want you to know that admiring Jesus is not enough. He invites you to put your faith in him, to put your life in his hands. And Jesus makes you a promise that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants for you. He wants for you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you are first inhabited by the Holy Spirit uh, as a disciple of Jesus. It's the entrance of the Holy Spirit who then dwells within you. Now, what happens then when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we all have different experiences. It's not going to be the, exactly the same from one person to the next, but I can tell you that that. Uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make following Jesus easy. And I know a lot of us could testify to that. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make following Jesus, being his faithful follower, doesn't make it easy. It makes it possible. And over the years, the Holy Spirit's impact in your life will be profound. Now, one of, one of the things you need to know about me is that my favorite food is pizza. So I can always make an illustration that involves pizza in some way. Uh, I also like to make pizza uh, once in a while. And uh, when I make my pizza dough, um, I use 15 ounces of bread flour. So it's got a good thick crust to it. But it takes just a small amount of yeast. Just a quarter of an ounce. That's a 60 to 1 ratio. And when I first add the yeast into the dough, nothing happens. But wait an hour. Given proper conditions, the yeast organisms inflate the tiny gluten bubbles with carbon dioxide. The dough grows, it puffs. I sound like Alton Brown, don't I? <laughs> oh, well. And, and just like the yeast, the Holy Spirit's work in you is profound. But it takes time. And that impact is going to grow through the years in mysterious, wondrous ways. But, uh, but most of the time, I will say this, that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're probably not going to feel anything. Most of the time. You know, this morning my alarm went off at 5.30. You know, I just felt like everybody else when your alarm goes off at 5.30. You're going, oh, already? Oh, man. Now, in my, in my long life, I've had a few kind of profound Holy Spirit experiences, but that's not where I live my daily life. I take it by faith that the Holy Spirit is in me. By faith, I invite the Holy Spirit to guide me and change me and influence me. And by the Spirit's influence, we find that a miracle happens to us. We become more loving and joyful peaceful and patient we become kinder gentler more faithful more self-controlled when I when I was a teenager and I was trying to figure out if God was real and who Jesus was the thing that I found most convincing was being around several uh, young people my own age who said that knowing Jesus uh, had radically changed their lives and I could see it. I mean, they weren't just talking. It was something that really happened. They loved Jesus, and they loved each other, and, and I didn't know much about the Holy Spirit at the time, but now I look back and I think, okay, wow. I think the Holy Spirit was a part of their experience as well. And so I want to say to you who are in middle school or high school or college, when, when you walk with Jesus and when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, people are going to notice. Now, there may be some who will ridicule you for it, but others will be fascinated. They'll wonder, what makes you different? What is it that has changed you? And they're going to want what you have. Today, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit is our source of wisdom. 
And so I invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1. If you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 1096. And uh, as I always like to say, if you're here today, you don't own a Bible. If you don't have one of your own, take the Pew Bible. We'll stick another one in this week. We'd love for you to have it. And if you're trying to decide what to read first in the Bible, I always like to suggest the, at the very beginning of the New Testament, there are four biographies about Jesus. We call them Gospels, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one of those and start reading. Now, the book of Acts that we're looking at today is the sequel to the Gospels, telling what happened with the early Christian movement. Chapter 6 uh, happens a few years, no doubt, uh, following Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. So we're probably talking late 30s A.D. At this point, the movement has not yet spread to the Gentiles. So everyone who follows Jesus is still Jewish. And Jerusalem is still the hub. And one of the things that the, the Jesus followers do really well, especially right now, is that they take care of each other. They watch out for each other. They provide, they give so they can provide food for those, so everybody can have enough to eat, especially for the poorest among them. Uh, and the poorest at that time in that culture would be childless widows. No, no widows, no husband, no children living. Well, so they always made sure they got fed. And, but their problem came up, and that's what we're going to begin there in verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, back in that day, there was already a tension between the two groups of Jews. You had the Hellenistic Jews who spoke Greek and adopted a little bit more of a Greek, or we might call secular lifestyle. Uh, and then you had the Hebraic Jews who spoke Aramaic, which is a kind of a close cousin of the Hebrew language. And they kept a much more strict traditional Jewish uh, lifestyle. And the tensions between those two groups just kind of naturally crept into the, to the Christian movement as well. The apostles, they were the first Christian leaders, uh, they were all traditional Aramaic-speaking Jews. The Greek-speaking Christ followers, they're the ones who discovered that their widows were often being overlooked when the food was being distributed. Now, Nobody's saying that the oversight was intentional, but it reflected the apostles' bias, okay? It reflected their bias. And yet, when I read this chapter, I like the way they dealt with it. The Greek-speaking Christians complained appropriately. They brought it up. They didn't attack. They didn't accuse. They simply raised the issue. You know how important that is? in your family, in your church, in your school or workplace, complain constructively. Complain constructively. Don't whine. Don't, don't go passive-aggressive. Complain without grumbling or griping. Complain without drama. There's a lot of wisdom in a constructive complaint. 
And what did the, what did the apostles do? Let's look at verses 2 and 3. So the twelve, that is the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. Apparently, the pantry ministry had outgrown the apostles' administrative capacity. As a pastor, I know exactly what that's about. There are a lot of things that happen in this church that have outgrown my personal administrative capacity. So the people selected new leadership. Seven who were said to be full of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Now, if you look in verse 5, the names uh, listed there that Becky read for us, they're often uh, uh, described as the first deacons of the church. And deacon is a word that kind of just means minister. All seven are men, but if you read through in the rest of the New Testament, it also says women became deacons, including one named Phoebe. They were all filled with the Spirit and wisdom, which we take to interpret meaning that this is a, a, a wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, wisdom from the Holy Spirit is way different than any wisdom you're going to get around the world today. Way different than conventional wisdom. For example, um, years ago, Trisha and I had an older car that uh, we thought about selling. You know, it wasn't worth a whole lot. But anyway, we had, we had met uh, this high school girl uh, who lived in our neighborhood. She was from a Middle Eastern family. And Trisha and I both had this idea that maybe we should give the car to her. Was it the leading of the Holy Spirit? I mean, couldn't be 100% sure. Uh, the fact that we both kind of felt the same way about it was a bit of a confirmation for us. But we decided, okay, we're going to take a chance. We're going to act on this. And I am sure that to the average person, this was just crazy. What are you doing? You've, you, you hardly know this girl. You've never even met her family. But we felt like God was saying, go for it. And so we did. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And that's where we live, right? The wisdom of God seems like foolishness to the world. So here's the first big thing that I want to say today. If you want to write this down, there's a page inside your bulletin for taking notes. The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom to live from God's point of view. Let's say that together, shall we? The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom to live from God's point of view. Now, when you look over those names in verse 5, what's, what's not obvious, unless you're a Bible scholar, is that they're all Greek names. Amazingly, the Aramaic-speaking apostles put Greek-speaking people in charge of the pantry. I mean, this is not politics as usual. This is Jesus' wisdom in action. This is loving people and making peace with them so they don't become your adversaries. This is uh, trusting those that you have overlooked to not overlook you. Isn't that daring? And what's the result of this Jesus kind of wisdom? 
verse 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, one of the things that you'll find in the book of Acts, but also in life, is that increase incites opposition. Increase incites opposition. One of the synagogues in Jerusalem who, uh, you know, started attacking Stephen, who had become a vocal advocate for Jesus. And now I want you to, to skip down to verse 10 with me. Everybody with me on verse 10? Uh, where it describes Stephen and those who opposed him. But they could not stand up against, and if you would, say the rest of the verse with me, against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Now, if you were to go to the next chapter in the book of Acts, you'd find Stephen um, giving his speech. He, he walks his accusers through the, the entire story of the Old Testament. You know, this is a great Jewish-style sermon where you, uh, you, know, you hit all the high points of your, of your people's history with God. And then he comes to the end, and his big point is that now that Jesus has come, the temple is irrelevant. Now that Jesus has come, the temple is irrelevant. And, of course, this makes the temple authorities hopping mad. Now, based on Stephen's example, here's what we learn about wisdom. And here's the next thing I want to share with you. The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom that's grounded in God's Word and focused on Jesus. Will you say that with me? The Holy Spirit gives me wisdom that's grounded in God's Word and focused on Jesus. Years ago... Uh, after I'd been the pastor, I'd been a pastor for about 10 years, um, I found myself wanting to return to seminary. And I found a program where I could get a second master's degree uh, in church growth, mission, and leadership, kind of perfect for what I was looking for. I, I applied for it. I was accepted into it. I realized in order to do this, I was going to have to take a year off from being a pastor and, you know, all the all the funding was going to have to be on me. They weren't going to come from anywhere. So anyway, I took the, uh, the GRE, the graduate record exam, and uh, amazingly, uh, the seminary informed me later that after they got my scores that I qualified for a, t a full tuition scholarship. Anybody got a woo-hoo for me? There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I, I, wrote, I wrote a letter uh, to my conference uh, officially requesting a, a sabbatical year. In December, my sabbatical was granted. Uh, I was all set for that sabbatical year starting in June. Then in January, I got a call from the seminary. I was told that while I did qualify for a full tuition scholarship, for the coming academic year, there was no scholarship available for my particular program. Oh. Oh. How, how, <laughs> how rude, oh, oh man. So now what am I going to do? You know, do I wait a year? Do I just go and trust God is going to provide? Oh. So, of course, I prayed. I sought the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom. And 
I kept being drawn back to the scriptures, to the story of Abraham and Sarah, and how God told them to, to pack up and move to Canaan, not knowing really where they were going or what they would find there. They set out by faith. So I read that, but I said, well, yeah, I don't know if that's what God's supposed to do, right? So I asked God for a sign. No sign came. I mean, I didn't even care what it was, you know. Just somehow give me a sign, but there was no sign. So I kept praying. I said, Lord, you know, I've got a wife and, and two young kids. I mean, I can't take wild chances like when I was 22 and single. And then... One sunny spring morning, I was walking home from the post office in Arapahoe, Nebraska, where we lived, and a realization came to me. It wasn't a voice, anything like that. It was just a real kind of quiet, warm realization. If I don't go now, I probably never will, and I'll always regret it. That was it. If I don't go now, I probably never will, and I'll always regret it. And I knew that I didn't want to live with that regret for the rest of my life. I told Trish about it and uh, about kind of this realization that had come to me, and we, we decided together to go for it. In, in some ways, the sabbatical year was better than we expected. In other ways, it was harder than we expected. But I look back now and I realize that we were led not always by the direct guidance of God, of the Spirit, but sometimes more by the wisdom that He gave. A wisdom that's grounded in God's Word, focused on Jesus. And some of you here this morning, I'm sure, are wondering, well, do I have the Holy Spirit? Or better, does the Holy Spirit have me? Do, have, have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Uh, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? I want you to know I can't answer that question for you, but I believe that if you're wondering, if you're searching, then you're asking the right questions, and it's a sign that, that, that the Spirit is working in you. And I'd like to share with you here at the close a prayer that I would encourage anyone to pray who, who wants to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's a prayer that um, if I were you, I would just kind of keep praying it until you receive the assurance that you're seeking. And also it's a prayer that, um, you know, I would want to keep praying just to keep myself open to the Holy Spirit. So if this prayer expresses the desire of your heart, then I'll put it up here on the screen, and, uh, and you can join me. Let's pray together. Jesus, you have opened my heart. I put my faith in you and put my life in your hands. Father, send the Holy Spirit to dwell in me and transform me with your love. Holy Spirit, what wisdom do you have for me today? And that question in that prayer might touch on something in your life, a, a conflict 
or a problem, a question, or a worry that you're going through, and you just want to seek the Lord. Okay, Holy Spirit, what wisdom do you have for me today? And so what we're going to do here is take a minute or two of silence, and I just invite you to ponder that prayer. Focus on whatever part or parts of it that you feel most strongly led to do, and um, see, see, where, see where it takes you. See where the Lord takes you. Let's pray.